For the final segment of our program, we again turn to Dr. Miller to elaborate on what is widely considered the most important advance in treatment of metastatic breast cancer in perhaps a decade, the demonstration that adding the anti-VEGF monoclonal antibody bevacizumab to chemotherapy significantly delays tumor progression. The initial report from this study was done by none other than Dr. Miller during the same highly memorable data presentations at the 2005 ASCO meeting where the first adjuvant trastuzumab trials were presented. Dr. Miller comments on this study. Avastin or bevacizumab is a monoclonal antibody that binds to a growth factor called the vascular endothelial growth factor, which we call VEGF because saying the long name just becomes impossible. And that's one of the most common growth factors that tumors produce to stimulate blood vessels to grow into the tumor. And we've understood for quite a while now that in order for cancers to grow, they have to develop a bigger blood supply. So it made sense that if you could somehow block the growth of that blood supply, that should be an effective therapy or help our other therapies be more effective. So there are many drugs in development that try to block the growth of those blood vessels. And Avastin was one of the first ones to enter clinical trials. Once it had completed its phase one trials, one of the first studies that was done was actually a phase two study giving Avastin alone to women who had very heavily pretreated metastatic breast cancer. This phase two trial overall enrolled 75 patients, and we found that about 9% of patients had an objective response, meaning their tumors shrunk by about half. And I know some people have looked at that and said, 9%, eh, doesn't sound that great. But these were women who had very advanced disease, who'd had lots of previous chemotherapy. And at that point, we didn't expect we were going to see any objective responses. We thought the best we would see was disease that would remain stable for a longer period of time. In addition to that 9%, there were about 17% overall whose disease was stable or responding for at least five months. And four of those 75 patients who were treated without progression for at least a year. So we were very encouraged by those results, and that led to the first phase three trial, which also looked at patients with pretty heavily pretreated disease. So that first phase three trial compared capecitabine or Zolota by itself to capecitabine with Avastin. And to be eligible for that trial, you had to have had previous therapy with an anthracycline and a taxane at some point in your course. And you could have had up to two previous chemotherapy regimens for metastatic disease. So women who had adjuvant therapy with an anthracycline and taxane could have had two other chemotherapy regimens before they enrolled in this trial. If they had their anthracycline and taxane in the adjuvant setting and they progressed within 12 months, so a really difficult group with aggressive tumors, they could have enrolled in this trial as their first therapy for metastatic disease. And that was the case in about 15% of the patients. Overall, what we found in that trial was that adding Avastin to the capecitabine essentially doubled the response rates. And that was true whether you are most swayed by the response as designated by the investigator sitting in the room with the patient or by a blinded independent review facility. But since this was a refractory group of patients, the response rates were pretty low. So even doubling them really didn't change the average time that it took for the disease to progress or worsen. And that was really the main endpoint of the study. We were still encouraged, though, because we saw that Avastin had activity. The side effects were exactly as we had predicted from our earlier experience, with about 15 to 20 percent of patients developing hypertension that needed some intervention, a much smaller proportion of patients developing proteinuria that did not otherwise impact their kidney function, 
and very low rates of blood clots and bleeding, and really no new side effects, and no suggestion that adding Avastin to the chemotherapy increased or enhanced the chemotherapy side effects. What we expected was that if we could use Avastin earlier in the course of the disease, when women were not so refractory, they had not seen so much previous therapy, that we would see more impressive results. And that led to the E2100 study, which looked at women receiving their first chemotherapy for metastatic disease. It randomized them to either paclitaxel or taxol alone, using a weekly schedule of weekly therapy for three weeks and then a week off, or the same chemotherapy with Avastin given every other week. And we chose that schedule because that would still allow patients to have the fourth week without an infusion. We were delighted that the results in some ways were very similar to the capecitabine study. Response rates essentially doubled by adding the Avastin. But in this less heavily pretreated patient population, that led to a dramatic improvement in the progression-free survival or the average time from the start of therapy until the disease had clearly worsened from just over six months in the women treated with Taxol alone to almost 11.5 months in women treated with the combination. What about the quality of life and sort of how patients felt? I guess initially they would get the Taxol. Was it stopped and then Avastin continued? The trial said for both groups that you could continue therapy until either disease progression or unacceptable toxicity. What we did allow for patients in the combination arm was for them to stop the Taxol at any point, either because of cumulative toxicity, their own wishes, they or their oncologist thought that they've sort of reached maximal benefit, and then continue the Avastin alone until progression. And there were many women who took that option, though at variable time courses. And there were some women who continued both drugs for over two years, which I found astounding because I would have dumped the chemotherapy long ago. For those patients who then went from the combination to just the Avastin alone, what side effects were seen with Avastin by itself? It's much less because many of the side effects that patients notice come from the chemotherapy. So there are still issues with hypertension. In this study, about 15% of patients developed hypertension that needed therapy. About 3 to 4% of patients had proteinuria that you could measure with dipstick or urinalysis. And there were even lower rates of blood clots or bleeding. We've known both from this study and from large surveys of patients treated with Avastin for a long time, there really aren't new or increased side effects that come up with chronic therapy. And I think that's important for patients and oncologists to know because the Avastin side effects for most patients are quite manageable, so they really feel very well, almost as if they're not on therapy for many of them when they're on Avastin alone. Perhaps the one exception are mild headaches, which some patients with Avastin do notice. For most patients, they're quite mild, and that tends to be a little more common in patients who've had chronic headaches or chronic migraines before they start therapy. What do we know about why Avastin is associated with hypertension? We have some ideas. So we know in the laboratory, if you infuse VEGF, which is the protein that Avastin blocks into animals, the animal's blood pressure goes down. VEGF tends to cause blood vessels to dilate, and it tends to make blood vessels more leaky. So it would sort of make sense that if you're blocking VEGF, you might increase the vascular tone. What that doesn't explain, then, is why doesn't everybody get high blood pressure? Why is it only 15 to 20% of patients? And we have not really been able to explain that. Roughly half of those patients had hypertension before and just needed adjustment to their medicines. The others had not been hypertensive before. And we've not really identified other risk factors for the hypertension. 
I keep hoping that I can convince somebody who's interested in hypertension to study this because I wonder if it might tell us about underlying mechanisms of hypertension in some patients that might lead to other therapies for hypertension. Sometimes you can see a relationship between a side effect and its benefit. For example, the tyrosine kinase inhibitors, the people who seem to get rash or worse rash, seem to get a better response. What about with the hypertension? Any correlation with whether or not it works? No correlation between any of the side effects with whether it was working at all. With Herceptin and endocrine therapy, we have predictors of response, HER2 and ER. What about with Avastin? At this point, we really don't have predictors of response. Both in our previous breast cancer trial with capecitabine and in the colon cancer trial, we've tried to collect tumor samples from those patients to do those investigations. It's been a difficult challenge because we can only get tumor samples on about a third of the patients in the previous breast cancer trial. So with so many patients missing and such low response rates, it was difficult to find any association. And indeed, we didn't find any association at all. We've collected tumor samples from the patients in our E2100 study, as well as serum samples and urine samples, and we have already looked at several potential factors. So far, we've come up empty and not being able to predict who's most likely to benefit or equally important and helpful for us a group of patients who wouldn't benefit. We're still doing lots of other studies and looking at other potential predictors on those samples. So hopefully we'll be able to select those patients most likely to benefit in the same way that we do for Herceptin or hormone therapies, but we're simply not there yet. Can you put into context this advance in terms of what the additional benefit is and how that compares to other advances that have been made in metastatic breast cancer in the last decade or so? I think it's a really striking advance. If you look at the two most recent metastatic trials that most people would be familiar with, the trial that looked at Taxol alone versus Taxol with gemcitabine, that found a roughly two to three month improvement in progression-free survival, but with some significant increases in toxicity by adding the other chemotherapy regimen, certainly not something patients would be able to continue truly long-term pretty similar to the docetaxel versus docetaxel with capecitabine study, about a 2 to 3% improvement in progression-free survival, but at the cost of substantial increase in toxicity. In our study, we had just over a five-month improvement in progression-free survival, with certainly very minimal, if any, increase in the chemotherapy-associated side effects, some other unique side effects to Avastin, but not ones that impact how patients feel on a day-to-day basis and as they're able to go through their lives. There's really only one other study that has found that magnitude of improvement with such minimal toxicity, and that's Dennis Slayman's initial study that looked at chemotherapy with or without Herceptin. Where do you see Avastin fitting in right now in a non-protocol situation for breast cancer patients? I think it's hard to ignore incorporating Avastin into the initial chemotherapy of patients with metastatic disease with this improvement in progression-free survival and the minimal side effects that come with this. Now, on a practical level, that's difficult at this point because while we have these results, we don't yet have FDA approval for Avastin for breast cancer, and there's been significant variability across the country in third-party insurers as to whether they're willing to reimburse the cost of Avastin or not. We certainly expect that the data from E2100 will result in approval, but it's still working its way through the process to get us to that point. What we're most excited about, though, is not using this in the metastatic patients, but what it might tell us about moving this into the adjuvant setting. 
is while we work very hard to improve the quality and the quantity of life for our patients with metastatic disease, what we ultimately would like is fewer patients with metastatic disease in the first place. That is to cure more of our newly diagnosed patients, and that means moving this into the adjuvant setting. That process has already started with an adjuvant pilot trial, specifically looking at whether there are any cardiac safety issues of incorporating Avastin into an anthracycline-containing regimen, because there's relatively little data combining Avastin with anthracyclines. And we are well into the planning stages of a large adjuvant trial that will be in the neighborhood of 5,000 patients that will compare chemotherapy alone to chemotherapy with Avastin. This concludes our program. Special thanks to our speakers and particularly for the patient who spoke with us. And thank you for listening. This is Dr. Neil Love for Breast Cancer Update.